Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. I love this idea that there are these major stories in Scripture, but there's these minor characters, seemingly minor, except they play a really major part in it. And uh, there's a story I am so drawn to in Scripture of these two, not just minor, but almost insignificant characters. And this encounter that they have with Jesus, and that this story happens at all, is really good news for me, and you might find it's good news for you as well. So that's what I'll tell today, but first I've got to tell you a story. Uh, I'm from Nashville. It's a music town, and I'm a music guy. I love music so much. Love the worship today and getting to hear from your team. And I go to, uh, to concerts in Nashville as often as I can. And a few years ago, I went to one that was like a bucket list concert for me. It's a band called Mumford and & Sons. And if you've not heard them before, good. Some people know them. If you're too enthusiastic, I don't know, you know, people might be like, wait, why are you listening to that? But it's fine. Uh, 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 Really energetic show, just, a f- I was so excited about this show. And I bought tickets, and I thought I had good tickets. Like, I was like, oh, these are going to be good. And then I get to the venue, and the stage is over here on this area of the arena, and my seats are all the way over here on the complete opposite side of the arena. In fact, my seats were as far away from the stage as you could get and still be inside the building. And, uh, and I was like, oh, man, I totally misjudged these tickets. But then the show starts, it's song one, and uh, everyone in my section is standing up and singing, so I'm like, okay, well, this will be all right. This is what I was looking for, but then it changed. We get to song two, and people in my section start sitting down. We get to song three, and basically everyone in the section is like sitting down, arms crossed, just kind of nodding their heads. It was like they had taken a vote of how they were going to react to the concert, and I lost the vote because I wanted to be standing up. I wanted to feel something. I was there for the energy, and now I'm sitting in this dead section where you just really can't feel the energy at all. Meanwhile, I'm looking down at the floor, and the floor of the arena has no chairs. Everyone is standing, and everyone is singing and dancing and hands up in the air, and I look down, and I look to the the friend uh, who had come to the show with me. I'm like, man, that is the experience that I was looking for. And he said, well, uh, I mean, do you want to sneak down there? And the answer to that was no. I do not want to sneak down there because I'm a bit of a rule follower. Uh, I do not like to get in trouble. I do not like to be embarrassed. And in my mind, the idea of like walking all the way down to the floor only to get turned around by a security guard and sent all the way back to my seat, that sounded incredibly embarrassing. But also, as a pastor, I really try and hold myself to a high standard. I try to make good decisions. I try not to make decisions I might not regret. And I certainly try to never put myself in a position where I might have to stand on the stage and tell you to do something that you should not do. But I also don't believe I should stand on the stage and lie to you. And so I have to tell you, we, uh, we absolutely snuck down to the floor. And, uh, and it, it turns out it was easy. You should do it too. It's uh, like, like those numbers, the seat numbers they put on your ticket, that's a suggestion. Sit wherever you want. If you're confident enough, it's amazing what you can get away with. And uh, so anyway, so we sneak down to the floor successfully, and, and, uh, and this is what happens. I actually shot video at the floor, and so it's exactly the experience I was looking for. Everyone's got their hands up in the air, and they're singing, and they're dancing, and the band's playing, and you can feel like the bass in your chest, like as it's playing, and it's loud and energetic, and my heart is just burning within me. 
and I'm having the best time. I'm so happy with my choice. And then I feel someone standing like behind me, like really close up behind me. And on one hand, I'm at a concert. We're all packed in there pretty tight, except this is, there's a different presence to it. And so I, uh, so I kind of look over my shoulder really fast. And as I do, I realize there's a security guard standing right behind me. And so I go, well, okay, I guess my show is about over. <laughs> and uh, so I'm waiting to get kicked out of the show. And as I'm waiting there, nothing happens. And so I kind of sneak another look over my, uh, my shoulder. And now I realize it's not one security guard, it's 10 security guards. Which at this point, to be honest, I was just flattered. I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like man, I don't know what y'all heard about me, but uh, I almost never resist arrest. I am uh, I'm very agreeable in these uh, situations. But there's all these security guards behind me, and I'm really confused as to what's going on. And that's about when I realized that's what this happens, the second video, which is I hadn't noticed that the band had walked off the stage. They walk all the way back to the back of the arena. They walk up right behind me onto this little platform behind the soundboard. I hadn't even noticed it was there, but now they're standing right there. I'm looking up to the section where I'd been sitting before, and I'm like, man, someone should wake them up. This is going to be a really great moment. And the band stands around one microphone there, and uh, their instruments aren't plugged in. They don't have any other mics. And they're just standing around this microphone singing these songs. And the arena gets incredibly quiet. And I am so close to them that I don't even need the microphone because I can hear them actually sing. I hear their voices. And it was moody and vibey and interesting and different and unexpected. And I was so happy. And as it happened, my heart burned within me. Now, I think this desire to feel something, for our hearts to burn within us is a part of the human experience. I think it is a universal thing, and it shows up in a lot of places. It's why we go to concerts. It's why we go to sporting events, like I bet some of you this close to Clemson go to games, and you know, if you think about it, you could save a lot of time uh, and a lot of money if you didn't go to games, if you just waited till the game was over and just checked the box score. You would know everything you need to know about the game, but that's not what we do. We go, we watch, we experience, because we want to feel something. We'll take the risk of a losing game just for those exhilarating moments when games are really, really good. And it's not just entertainment where we're like this. It's not just concerts and sporting events. Uh, it's in our work. You know, over this last year, there's been something uh, they're calling the Great Resignation, where across the country, truly millions of people have left their jobs looking for something different. And the polls that they've done is the reasoning why people have left. A lot of them talked about, like, you know what? I just kind of burned out on my job, and I just want to do something where I feel something. I want a job I'm passionate about. I want to do a job that makes me feel like I'm making a difference. I want my heart to burn within me, even in my work. And it's not just in work. Uh, it's also in relationships. You know, as a, as a pastor, I, I talk to a lot of people. I'll talk to couples who've been married for five, seven years and say, you know, it feels like we've hit a little bit of a dry spot. Like when we first got married, like, you know, just everything was exciting and passionate, but it kind of seems like it's faded. We've settled into some, some rhythms here. And so we talk about how you get back to some of those early feelings to get that fire going again. And I talk to people who are in the dating world who say like, it gets so exhausting going on bad date and then average date and then bad date and then average date. And at some level, you just want a connection with someone. You just want to feel something. But where I have this conversation the most, uh, and it's not surprising as a pastor that I would have this, uh, is, uh, is conversations about faith. Uh, people who uh, say they want to feel something, and it often falls into three categories. Uh, the first one is the person who says, you know, when I first came to Christ, I was on fire. 
Like I changed so much about my life and I was faithful in church attendance and I got involved and I was serving and I was doing all these things, but I'm just gonna be honest, over time it's just kind of faded. I feel like I'm just going through the motions and I just don't really feel anything. Or I talk to people who would say, you know what, when I'm here, I feel it. Like when I'm at Foothills on a Sunday morning, I feel it, my heart burns. But to be honest, as soon as I leave this building, real life hits me right in the face. And Monday through Saturday, I feel so distant from God and I feel so numb and I'm just in a rush to get back to Sunday just so I can be back with God again. I just wanna feel something. And then I talk to people uh, who would say, um, you know, I'm not sure I believe what you believe. Like I'm curious. I, uh, and I'm looking for hope, I'm looking for answers, and I would love to, to believe the way that you believe. I would love to just fully dive in and have that life of faith, but just to be honest, I don't really feel anything. Like, I see that you feel it, but I just don't feel it the same way. I just wish my heart burned within me. And if I'm right, if this desire to feel something is part of the human experience, then you'll understand why there's this one verse that when I read it, it just jumps off the page at me. Uh, you find it in Luke's gospel in uh, chapter 24, verse 30. And it says, when he was at the table with them, and he is referring to Jesus, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Friends, I, I believe that there is a relationship with God available to us where our heart burns within us, that the Christian life is so much more than just church attendance and rules and regulations and Bible studies and behavior modification and insurance to get into heaven someday. I believe that there is a relationship with our creator. It's available to us that leads our heart to burn within us. And I think we shouldn't settle for anything less. And that's what I wanna talk about today. And to do so, I want to share this really incredible story. Uh, what the verse I just shared is the end of the story. I want to go back to the beginning of it and just walk through it and then extract just a couple of ideas that maybe helps us uh, feel that, that heart burning within us, that helps us actually take practical steps in our life to draw closer to God. And so I'll start, this is in uh, Luke's Gospel. Uh, a lot of you will be very familiar with this story. Uh, it's referred to as the walk to Emmaus. Um, but there are things in this story that I'll tell you, I've grew up in the church, I've been around it my whole life. I even remember the painting hanging in my grandfather's home of the walk to Emmaus. And yet when I studied this passage back like in November, there are things about it I just, I just never seen before and that jumped out at me and I'm gonna share those things with you as well. So I'll, I'll start in, uh, in verse 13. Of course, we'll have the verses up for you as well. Uh, verse, th verse 13 says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other and about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now it says that first thing, now that same day. So it makes you ask, well, what day is it? Well, if you back up just a few verses, what you see is this is the day of the resurrection. In fact, in Luke's account, the verses immediately before this passage is the women going to the tomb to find the stone has been rolled away, the body of Jesus has gone, they return to the disciples, the disciples come see for themselves, and no one really quite knows what's going on. And I think that's a really interesting detail, that this is the day of the resurrection. But I can't really get to that right now without completely losing track of the story. So your team is going to help me out. We're going to put this up on the board as a reminder for me to come back later before we 
wrap this message to unpack this idea a little bit. Now, the other thing it says is that they're walking to Emmaus. As these two travelers walking to Emmaus. Now, we're not 100% sure where Emmaus is. Uh, that we have ideas, like if you take a trip to Israel, the tours will take you to the place that we believe Emmaus was, but we're not 100% sure. And the reason is, it just wasn't really that significant of a city. It doesn't show up in a lot of other places, and it's kind of got lost to history. Now, I think that's an interesting detail as well, but again, if I go there, I'm going to lose complete uh, track of where I am. So the team's going to put that up on the board as well. We'll come back to that in a little bit. For now, let me keep going with the, uh, with the story. Verse 17 uh, says, He asked them, and this is Jesus asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, I I love this so much. These uh, guys are walking away from Jerusalem. And as they're walking, Jesus comes up, joins them on the road. They don't recognize who he is. He says, well, what are you all talking about? And they're beside themselves. They're like, well, how can you not know what we're talking about with everything that's happened in these last few days? And uh, there's a couple reasons I love this. Uh, The first is um, they're going the wrong way. Like, It's the day of the resurrection. This is not the day you want to be leaving Jerusalem. Really good stuff is about to happen. Uh, But they're walking away, and if they're walking away, it tells me that they're either confused, disappointed, or or maybe even scared. Like the idea of like, well, if if the Romans would kill Jesus, maybe they'd kill us too. And so they're walking away uh, from uh, Jerusalem. And I just love the picture of a God who will meet you in that place, who just joins them on the road, who meets them in the midst of their confusion and their disappointment and their fear and just walks with them. And the reason I love it is it's still true. That Jesus is a God who continues to do that, who will meet us in the midst of our confusion, meet us in the midst of our disappointment, even in the midst of our fear, and walks with us. I love this picture. But I also love the historical clue you kind of get with this. Because uh, uh, scholars would say back in this particular time, population of Jerusalem, it's probably twenty to 30,000. But when Passover happened, which is what's happening now, it would expand dramatically. It could be as much as 150,000 people. And what they're saying is everyone in Jerusalem is talking about what has happened with this prophet, Jesus. And it, it's this great historical clue because if you've ever wondered, how did the gospel make it out of the first century? Like when there was no Bible, we just have this benefit of all these stories and all this context. We even know the end of the story. So it's one thing for us, but those early generations, like how did it survive without the Bible, without the written word, without mass media? And the reality it is, it, it survived because there were thousands of eyewitnesses, thousands of people who watched him die and then later saw him alive. And it's this beautiful clue as to what's happening at this particular time period as Jesus is playing dumb that he doesn't know what's happened. And it says the story is two travelers. Here are our minor characters. And as minor characters go, these are very minor. And I say that because, one, we don't even get his name. He's unnamed uh, through the whole story. The other is Cleopas. And we don't really know who Cleopas is because he doesn't show up anywhere else in Scripture, not in the other Gospels, not anywhere else. Now, I think that's an interesting point as well, but this won't surprise you. I can't get to that right now. So we'll go ahead and put that up on the board as well. I promise you, at some point in this message, I'm going to come back and talk about these three ideas. For now, I'm going to continue on with the uh, with this story. So verse 19 says, what things, he asked. Jesus says, what things are you talking about? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. 
He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. The words that jump out at me on this part is we had hoped. Like it's so telling that they had put so much hope in what Jesus was going to do about Rome because they knew the story. They knew that God had redeemed uh, the, the Israelites from Egypt through Moses. And so at some level, maybe Jesus is going to do that for us with Rome. They hoped so specifically in this one area that they were completely missing the larger thing that Jesus was doing in them and doing in humanity, the larger story that was written. And they were missing it entirely because they were so locked in over at this very specific hope. And the reality is, I know I do the same thing, that I can have such specific hopes of what God, what I want God to do for me, that sometimes I miss the larger story that he's writing, that I'm actually invited to, but I miss it because I get locked in. But I also acknowledge a tension here, that sometimes this hope that we have, these hopes that we focus in on, are actually happening in the, in the form of prayer requests. And there are things that we're really hoping that God is going to do, and, and then it, we, my gosh, if you walk with God long enough, you're bound to have these moments where God just doesn't answer the prayers the way that you hoped he would. And I wish I could explain why. I wish I fully understood. I've just come to accept that this is one of those things I'm probably not gonna fully understand until I'm on the other side of eternity. And I know it's hurtful when you put your hope of God doing something and he doesn't show up in that. But I've lived long enough to have experienced many situations where um, in time, I see the larger thing that God was doing. I see the benefit of the unanswered prayer. I see that there was a larger story being written, and though I specifically wanted this one thing, later I can see the larger story that God is writing. And my encouragement to you, especially if you're one of those people right now who has a very specific hope in God, to continue to offer that to him. Don't stop praying and don't stop hoping, but also keep your eyes open to what larger thing God might be doing in your life right now. Maybe you'll see it right away and maybe you won't know until heaven someday. But continue to hope because I'm telling you, Jesus isn't done with you yet. And he's not done with these two uh, travelers either. There's more to this story. We'll, uh, we'll pick up in verse 22. Uh, this is still the travelers talking. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I think this is really interesting because there was a very easy way for Jesus to resolve their questions and their confusion. He could have just shown them his hands. He could have just said, look at the scars. Like, look at the scars. Those are from the nails. It's me. I'm Jesus. And death couldn't conquer me. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that's been taught. He could have done that. And we know he could have done that because he does it with Thomas later. But in this moment, he doesn't rush to the end of the story. Instead, he goes the other direction. He goes back to the beginning of the story. It says that he unpacks everything about Moses and the prophets. And effectively, what it's saying there is he goes to our Old Testament and just starts showing all the various ways uh, that the Messiah had been foretold, all the various places that had predicted Jesus, that confirmed, was confirmed through his life. And, um, 
And he just takes his time as they're walking on this long walk, seven-mile walk to, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a short drive. That's a long walk. And so he takes his time and he unpacks it. Now, I have a, an extended family member who's a retired pastor. And he's got a lot of time on his hands, but he's still hungry for the Lord. And so as he read this uh, story, he wondered, I wonder what he actually said. Like if Jesus unpacked everything about Moses and the prophets, like what all did he actually say? And so he uh, took his Bible and just started at the beginning and started walking through. And every time he would see something that predicted the Messiah or predicted the life of Jesus, he would write it down. And by the time he finished, he had 42 pages of notes. All this beautiful story that God had been writing all along the way that Jesus confirmed. And it's just this beautiful picture of Jesus in his gentleness and in his kindness walking with them and helping explain everything that they didn't understand. And now we're getting towards the end of the story. Verse 28, it says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now this is very much Jesus' character even today. What you'll find is Jesus doesn't force his way into your life. He waits for the invitation. And even in this moment, he was prepared just to keep walking. If they had gotten what they needed from him, but with that invitation, he stays. And then we get back to the verse we started with. Uh, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, there's, um, there's two maybe application points that I think we can extract from this story that are perhaps a little prescriptive on how do we d- develop a faith that makes our heart burn within us. Uh, the first one I would share is that there is clearly something found in walking closely with Jesus that is not experienced at a distance. We put it up here. There's something found in walking closely with Jesus that isn't experienced at a distance. So there's context clues in this story that would suggest that these two travelers did know who Jesus was actually quite well. There's evidence in these scriptures that show that they have some level of relationship with the other disciples. It is very likely that they heard Jesus teach. It is possible that they saw Jesus perform miracles. There's even some scholars who have theorized that maybe they were part of the 72 that got sent out to do the work of ministry. So they they are not unfamiliar with Jesus, but is what is very clear is there is something that happens in this experience, walking on the road with Jesus, that was different than the experiences that they had had before, that there was something about walking closely with Jesus that made their hearts burn within them. And it's true for us as well, that there can be this great temptation to get close enough to Jesus to feel like we're in, but not so close that we have to change very much. That there can be this tendency to maybe dip our toe in the water of faith, but not fully commit ourselves to it. And I understand, especially at a church like Foothills, there might be some of you who are brand new to this, that you're checking out faith for the first time, really trying to actually understand who Jesus is before you commit yourself. And I am not pressuring you or rushing you because Jesus' invitation was come and see. So I'm great for you to take your time, but what I've experienced in my life, and maybe some of you as well, is there's this great tendency for us to get to that place and stay in that place, or to retreat to that place 
of like a safe distance. And the irony of it is that the relationship with God that we want, the life that we want, the peace that we want, the joy that we want, the flourishing that we want in our life, that is not found at a safe distance. That is what we experience when we draw close. And it's the invitation from God to draw close, to be close to him, to walk closely with him. Now, there's, a, there's a, an old story that kind of sets this idea up a little bit. A story, there's a, an old farmer and his wife driving in a, in a pickup truck. And they're going down the road, and as they're driving, another pickup truck is coming the opposite direction. And this truck is also a couple, but a much younger couple. And the guy driving, and then his girlfriend is sitting next to him, except she's not in the passenger seat. She's like in the middle of the bench seat right next to him, kind of up hip to hip, just riding really close, and these two trucks pass each other. And after a few moments, the wife looks at the old farmer, and she says, how come we don't sit like that anymore? And the old farmer thinks about it for a second. He says, you know, I don't know. I'm not the one who moved. Here's why I tell that story. Right now, if you feel distant from God, I'm telling you, he is not the one who moved. He desires to be close to you. He loves you so much. He doesn't love who you could become someday if you just tried hard enough. He loves who you are today, who he created you to be. Every rough edge he still loves deeply. He desires to be close to us. And there's so many scriptures that promise it, so you don't even have to take my word for it. It's just true because it's in the scriptures. Like, I'm so drawn to the passage in James that says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And I love it because there's no conditions. It doesn't say draw near to God and if you've cleaned up everything about your life and if you catch him on a good day, maybe he'll draw near to you as well. No, it's a promise. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He longs to be close to us. He longs to have that relationship that makes our heart burn within us. And what I've experienced in my life is uh, when I feel distant from God, and even as a pastor, I feel distant from God all the time because I can't tell you how easy it is for me to talk so much about Jesus that it's more my job than my faith. It's easy to become a professional Christian. And in those moments when I start to feel distant, I have just learned it's because I program him out of my life. Like I fill every moment with something. From the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, it is never stillness, it is never quiet. It is music and podcasts and phone calls and texts and meetings and scrolling, and I have to fill every moment with productivity. And if you do that long enough, eventually you really are distant from God. And so when I wanna draw close, what I do is I have to get some silence. And practically speaking, I just turn off the stereo in the car. Like, not jump on a phone call, not listen to a podcast, let go of this desire to improve myself in every moment of the day and be productive every moment of the day, and instead just leave some space and some stillness. And what happens, and I, I'm not in control of it, but what I've experienced over and over is God shows up in that silence and stillness. And it's not that I hear the audible voice of God, but these ideas are impressed upon me, or sometimes names are brought to me where someone will just come up in, in my mind, and so I'll text them later to go, hey, I just thought about your day, how you doing? And they'll say, like, I can't believe you texted me. Like, actually, I need to talk to someone. And I know because I created space and drew close to God, he kind of gave me some inside scoop on where he could use me. And so when I need to draw close, that's what I do. But that may not be what you do. Like, I have friends who experience God in nature. 
And so when they feel far from God and they want to connect, they get out in nature. Certainly in this part of the country, there are many, many options on how you could do that, to go withdraw into his creation and spend time with the Father. Uh, but I have other friends, that's not it for them. It's worship music. And, so, and they don't want to just experience God on Sunday, and so they built rhythms in their life where they turn and put on some worship music, and it'll help them connect with God. And the key is not for you to do what I do or what they do. It's to find what works for you, to be intentional, to find rhythms and practices in our life that help us draw close to God because when we draw close to him, he draws close to us. And if you want a faith that makes your heart burn within you, I'm just telling you that doesn't happen at a distance. It happens as we draw close to God. Now, the, uh, the, other, uh, the other point that I can extract, I was close. I nearly lost it. It almost went flying. You almost had to finish the message for me. Uh, uh, the other point that I would extract uh, from this story uh, is it's not just Jesus' teaching, but also his character that makes our heart burn within us. Not just his teaching, which is not to take anything away from his teaching, but it's also his character. I think it's really interesting in the story that they don't recognize who Jesus is until they're at the table and he breaks the bread. The scripture doesn't tell us what changes in that moment for them to recognize him. And so I'm kind of left just to wonder, is it because he served them? Because, and you know, he's a guest at that table. It would not have been normal for him to be the one breaking the bread and serving them. They should have been serving him. But the reality is, if you've learned anything about Jesus, you know this is how he rolled. That Jesus was a savior who serves. He served all the time. It was his character. And so when you think about this, yes, on one hand, he opened up the scriptures to them on the road and their heart burned within him. But he did that in a way that was close to them, that was kind to them, that was generous towards them. He served them at the table. And as he served them, that's when they recognized who he is. And so if we want our hearts to burn within us, yes, we lean into the scriptures, we lean into Jesus' teaching, but we also have to lean into his character because it's not just what he said, it's who he is and how he treated people that makes our heart burn within us. I am realistic that there are people who have left faith, maybe even some of you who have gotten very disillusioned on Jesus, and it's not because of Jesus' teachings. Because you've spent time with Christians who don't reflect his character and it, the disconnect just doesn't make sense and it pushes you away. And so it's not just Jesus' teachings, it's also his character that makes our heart burn within us. And there's so many examples of way that we can actually develop this in our lives and follow his example. Like there are so many examples. There's the way that Jesus uh, treated women. I'm not that, sure I understand. Well, we'll explain that later. That's, that's a new one. <laughs> well, today Siri's getting saved. It's good news. Um, <laughs> I'm going to leave my watch off for the 11 o'clock service. Um, <laughs> I'm so lost now. Uh, okay. Um, it's the way that uh, Jesus treated women. You know, in his day, in his society, women didn't really have status or value. But Jesus didn't... Uh, didn't follow where society was. He elevated the value of women, the way he treated women. Guys, I, I think if we committed ourselves to treat women the way that Jesus treated women, if we continued to elevate the value, if we honored and protected women the way Jesus did, our hearts would burn within us. And guess what? Their hearts would burn within them too. You look at the way that Jesus treated children, 
who also didn't have status. They were considered a bit of a nuisance. The disciples were trying to keep the kids away from Jesus. And he said, no, bring the kids close to me. I want to be with them. In fact, if you could see me the way the kids see me, maybe you would understand this faith thing so much better. And so Jesus elevated the status and the value of children. And so if you want your heart to burn within you, how about invest in the next generation the way that Jesus did? Find ways to serve. Maybe it's here on a Sunday morning serving with kids, or it's on a Wednesday night with students serving with them. Maybe it's getting involved with the foster care organizations your church works with. Maybe it's exactly what you did yesterday, packing backpacks and just showing kindness to your community. But invest in the next generation with the heart of Jesus. And I'm telling you, your heart will burn within you. And it's not just the way he treated women and children. It is a long list of how Jesus treated people, the marginalized and the poor and the forgotten and the discarded and the unworthy and the unloved and the way he just showed up for them in so many ways. He invites us to do the same. It is the beautiful part of ministry. It is something that your church understands and there's opportunities inside this body for you to do that. But guess what? There is opportunities outside these walls and outside this church where if you're just paying attention, where the Lord will give you the opportunity to reflect his character to people who need it so bad. As you do so, you'll play a part in stitching the world back together, but also your heart will burn within you. So there's two, two ways. You draw close to Jesus and reflect his character and your heart will burn within you. But I recognize that, that for some people this isn't so easy. That it can be easy for me to say here on stage um, with a microphone, but what I'm realistic is if, if this wasn't a message and if I was just uh, having a cup of coffee with you sitting across the table, just the two of us, that there would be some of you who would say, Chris, do you, do you know how many layers of doubt and disbelief that Jesus would have to push his way through to get anywhere close to my heart. Do you realize what kind of journey that would be for Jesus? Are you saying that he'd be willing to do that? And I'd say you might be surprised. And there'd be some of you who say, Chris, uh, do you know how much pain Jesus would have to address to get anywhere close to my heart? Like how much wounding he would have to heal Do you know the walls I've built around my heart just to make sure that I don't ever feel anything again because it's the only way I feel safe? Are you telling me that Jesus would be willing to address all those things just for me? And I'd say you might be surprised. And and here's why I'd say that. I think it's time for me to get back to those three points that I didn't share earlier. Can we put those back up on the screen? Some interesting details about this story. The first is that this happens immediately after the resurrection. So if you are following Luke's account, uh, Jesus, after the resurrection, doesn't return to his mother, who sat at his feet and cried and watched him die. And he doesn't return to his disciples, his closest friends, his inner circle. No, at this particular point, they're hiding in a room scared. He doesn't show up for them until later. It is the hours after the resurrection. And the first thing we see is that Jesus is walking to Emmaus, a city we aren't even 100% sure where it is because in historical context, it just really wasn't all that important. And he's walking with two travelers who we don't even fully know who they are. They don't show up anywhere else in Scripture. One, we don't even know their name. So let me say that differently. In the hours after the resurrection, Jesus is walking with two nobodies on the road to nowhere. 
and I don't understand why. Like, honestly, I, I don't entirely get it. It's not what I would do. It, it, what it feels like to me is a pretty incredible detour from his mission and what he was called to do from the people he cared most about and the people who cared the most about him. I look at the story. It's a beautiful story. There is so much we can draw from this story. But if I'm honest with you, I just don't 100% understand why it even happened. So I started asking around. I started asking other pastors and friends of mine of like, yeah, I know there's all this, but also like, why does this even happen? And different people had suggestions, but there wasn't really a clear answer from Scripture. I studied the Scriptures. I didn't find that clear why. And it really wasn't until um, I was in one of those times of uh, silence and solitude in my car where I turned off the stereo and I tuned out some voices and just spent some time with the Lord that I, I got this idea. And it spoke to me and it gave me some peace and I'm gonna offer it to you thinking perhaps it would do the same. But I wanna be clear, this isn't scripture talking, this is Chris talking. And so the Lord may tell you something else. But, but here's what I was left with. Um, in the hours after the resurrection, Jesus was walking with two nobodies on the road to nowhere. And the reason is, you might be surprised how far out of the way Jesus is willing to go to sit at your table. To draw close to you. To speak to your doubts. And to answer your questions. To heal your heart. And to break down those walls in the best possible way. Out of his deep love and his affection for you that your heart would burn within you. And the reason is because when your creator God thinks of you, his heart burns within him. And so to wrap up, I'd like to, to pray for us. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And the first thing I'd say is I would recognize that there might be some of you here who are very much on the front side of this journey and you're not quite sure what you believe yet and maybe you've not made um, that decision to follow Jesus to really turn your life over. But what I would tell you is that invitation to come and see it exists for you. And if you want a faith, not just that gives you hope and secures your eternity, but also makes your heart burn within you, it is available to you. And it begins, honestly, with just the simplest of prayers. You could pray something like this. Jesus, I ask what you did on the cross be applied to my life and to my sin. I want to follow you, and I want my heart to burn within me. That'd be a perfect starting place on a journey with Christ, on your own walk with him. But then for the rest of us, there are steps we can take too. Father, we long to be close to you. We long to understand your teachings and we long to reflect your character. And I believe that you give us opportunities to do just that. Would you help open our eyes to the larger story that you're writing, to the larger story that you are weaving um, in the world and humanity, but also in a deep and personal way the story that you're writing in our neighborhoods and the story that you're writing in our schools and the story that you're writing in our workplaces and the story you're writing in this church and the story you're writing in this community, that there is a larger thing that you are doing and we want to play a part. And so would you show us, would you open our hearts and from a place of closeness, would you guide us as we seek to follow you and reflect your great love to a world that needs it so bad? Jesus, I want my heart to burn within me. And so I draw close to you, confident in the same way that you showed up in the story of those two minor characters, that you'll show up in my story too, and you'll show up in all of our stories. 
Our hope is in you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.